You're listening to the Jazz Violin Podcast, episode 23, and today I'm chatting with Mads Tolling. podcast you can do so on patreon.com forward slash jazz violin podcast um, if you don't know what patreon is um, it's a way that you the listener can support me the podcaster with a small amount of money every month uh, sort of like a donation but for that donation you get some added extras mainly you get a extra episode every month this month it's going to be quite an interesting one um and you get some, you get some of the some like extra videos, uh, extra posts, different little things, and there's different tiers on there. So uh, yeah, you check it out. Go and check it out. There's loads of stuff you can get on there. It's super exciting. Um, okay, so my guest today is Mads Tolling. Mads is a um, Danish born, but. Uh, San Francisco-based jazz violinist. He has played with the Turtle Island String Quartet, Stanley Clark, loads of uh, real amazing musicians. And he is an amazing musician himself. Um, real interesting chat. And we got, you know, we got down to some technical stuff this time, which I don't always do, actually, you know. But, yeah, got down to some technical stuff. Interesting. So uh, please give it up for Mads Tolling. Where are you right now? Oh, I'm in Denmark. Ah, okay. You're from Denmark, right? Copenhagen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're on tour. Yeah, we're playing around over here. We're we've been playing about 15 concerts, Denmark mm-hmm. and Sweden. I've also been doing a little bit of vacationing with my family. I'm actually staying with my my folks right now. So nice. that's that's been great. Yeah. Nice. And you, yeah, because you you live in America, right? You live in where is? Yeah, it? I live in San Francisco. Cool. Okay. Amazing. Nice. Yeah. So maybe we'll just start from the start and just go from like where you started when you started playing the violin and how you how you got into it. Okay. Should I should I say Matt or Matthew? What do you prefer? Uh, I'm Matt, generally. Matt. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> apart from my mother, she calls me Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Mom's always called the full. Yeah. yeah. The full name. <laughs> Um, yeah, so yeah, it would just be interesting to know how you started playing the violin, uh, how you got into it. Sure. So I actually started when I was six years old. Uh, it was really my my parents that got me started. Um, and I started with Suzuki Method. Um, I don't remember much about the specifics other than, you know, I was handed a violin and off you go, got a private Suzuki teacher and I was 
one of these kids that were standing in a big group of with other kids playing, you know, back mm. up and down. And uh, and then after a while, I sort of got into more conventional classical music. I got a different teacher and uh, got pretty serious about classical, you know, playing playing well, playing in tune and all that stuff. Um, and went to several competitions. Uh, and then what really changed for me when, when I hit sort of 14, 15 years old, I, I got interested in jazz. Um, and uh, that's when my dad actually handed me a cassette tape of Miles Davis playing Autumn Leaves. It was called The Essence of Miles. So there were a lot of different songs, Birth to Cool, some of those really 30s and 40s, 50s jazz. And that really caught my attention. I, I, I was just... Uh, really taken back by the intimacy and the beauty of that style. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily so much jazz violin to begin with, but it was horns and and uh, and miles. And then um, things went kind of went on, and I've continued practicing violin, not so much in jazz, but we started integrating a little bit of the Beatles, and I was listening a lot to the Beatles as well. Um, I had a band at school, and then really what got me to start improvising i would say it was when i heard uh my fellow dane fiddling viking jazz violinist sven asmussen yeah and his and his and his band play, uh, performing copenhagen mm. so when when that happened um i realized aha you know there's there's a way for me to to get in on this too mm. and i actually was so excited and um and um, yeah, I was excited to hear it, and 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 I was so excited that I actually, when I got home, I looked him up in the telephone book and called him up and asked if I could take some lessons with him. And I had a little bit of a conversation with him at that point. I was probably fifteen, and he said, "I he didn't teach, but you know, listen to stuff Smith." He was basically telling me, which is true, I believe as well, that jazz is much of a self-study. You have to really listen. You have to. Um, be interested and, and imitate and, and go that route to, to really get your sound on, on uh, playing jazz. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So what's interesting is that uh, you first got into jazz by listening to Miles, but you didn't, mm -hmm. at that point, you, at that point you didn't think, Hey, I can, I can play this. You just heard it and thought this sounds great, but you didn't. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. I think that's true. Um, I, I didn't make the connection at that point, and that's probably because um, I was so used to playing classical music and what's in front of me mm -hmm. that playing something that wasn't in front of me and something that I just heard on a record was well, there's no there's no sheet music, so how can I play this? Yeah, um, and I think a lot of kids think that way still today in orchestras. Well, yeah, I don't have the sheet music, I can't play it. Well, just you know, use your ears instead. Yeah. Um, and so it took me a while to make that, to make that leap. Yes. And that was through hearing Sven. Yeah, it, it actually was. Um, and also happens to have heard him together with Jacob Fisher, mm. who is this wonderful guitar player from Denmark. And mm. we're actually on this tour. We've been playing basically for the last two months, also in America playing over there. Um, so, it's been great connecting with him who actually was in Sven's band for 20 years. That's pretty special to have somebody like that and sort of on my team. Yes. Um, did you keep up a relationship with Sven? I did a little bit. 
um, I was actually invited uh, to his house, um, I believe, four or five years later when I was at Berkeley College of Music. He was kind of sad because he had lost his wife at that point. So he said, you know, I, I don't want to play violin anymore. Um, you can have a big stack of my sheet music. I was there with another jazz violinist, Bjarke Falkrein, and he told us, you know, here's my sheet music. You can do with it whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And I so to this day, I still have a bunch of, of old sheet music from Sven. Um, <laughs> Did you do anything with here. it? Have you done anything with it so far? You know, honestly, I haven't done a ton. Um, there's a lot of etudes. There's a lot of didn't realize how into classical music and just studying the violin he was. Yeah. So um, there was a lot of that, but some of the handwritten stuff I've been I've used, mm. and and um, and yes, he actually had some handwritten stuff, and there's some etudes and some shout courses. He was very known for doing these yeah. really cool shout courses with small orchestration quartet or quintet yeah. with vibes and to be honest some of those have um, i found and that's yeah cool. but we play a lot of his music that's cool it's a little bit like that um story about bob dylan finding that getting the sheet music from woody guster you ever heard that story i actually haven't no yeah he like um he went to see woody guster when woody was ill in hospital and um he said hey yeah uh, go to my house i've got loads of songs that I've, that I've written but never recorded. So Bob Dylan went all the way to, um, to Woody Guthrie's house in the rain. It took him like hours. He got there and mm -hmm. Woody's wife was like, what are you talking about? So he, so he had to leave. And then who was it who took, who, Billy Bragg ended up with that, with that music and recorded a big album with it. Anyway. Mm. Wow. That's, that's really far out. Man, I had no funny. idea. Um, it's not very jazz violin related though is it um so yeah, yeah. <laughs> you um you went to you you went to berkeley how did that come about yeah i went to berkeley college of music sometimes people get confused with the Ber various berkeley's because i basically live in berkeley now which is on the west coast yes. close to san francisco but yeah i went to berkeley college of music in boston and um the reason why that came about was I had heard from a friend that that was a really cool school to go to if you wanted to play jazz. Yeah. And, and Berkeley used to be just a jazz school, basically. Now yes. it's everything. Yes. It's huge. And it was kind of huge still when I was there in 2000. And I got a scholarship. I went to Paris for a, an audition yeah. down there. And they gave me a nice scholarship. So I said, you know, why not? Let's, let's give it a try. Let's maybe go for a semester or two, see what, what's going on. And now, 19 years later, uh, here I am, still uh, still in the U.S., yeah. a little bit different location, but still. How um, how did you find the move to Berkeley? Um, definitely well, the move to, uh, to, to the U.S. to study at Berkeley? Yeah, sure. It was definitely a, a different kind of experience for me uh, because – I mean, I had travels, so when I was 14, we went around the world for seven months, yes. which was an incredible experience. And as a part of that, we went to uh, Washington, D.C. and New York, and mm -hmm. also L.A. went to Disneyland. doesn't quite count. <laughs> Not the real, true American scene. Um, but, yeah, to see, um, to, uh, to see something different, I think, was really healthy at that point. I was 20 years old, and... 
you can get very in Denmark, you can sort of get very accustomed to that everything is sort of taken care of and it's easy living. I mean, the weather sucks hmm. as you know, living in. Yeah, you know, I get that. Yeah. So the weather is, is, is not too good, but it can be very uh, easy to, not easy, but relatively, you get a lot of fun and a lot of aid from, from the government and things are kind of taken care of in the U.S. That's very different. So you kind of have to okay. create your own opportunities. Uh, so I think it was good for me to see that and, and to be in a different environment at that point. Um, I enjoyed it and, and graduated after three years mm. and had a, had a hell of a time. Yeah. Um, what did you... Uh... What were some of the things that you that you learned when you were studying at Berkeley? I mean, I would say when I got there, I already had a decent amount of of jazz training, theory, harmony, melody. I could play my instrument, um, and of course, all that all that got better. But I I would say that I made some really valuable connections. Yes, for example, Jean Luc Ponty came through my school, gave a master class. Mm. I jammed. Um, he gave my name to Stanley Clark. That started something for me. Mm. I started with some great educators like Hal Crook and uh, Joe Lovano. Although yeah. Joe is maybe not an educator type, he's an uh, amazing musician. Yeah. So to be around people like that, Joanne Burkeen, uh jazz pianist, Matt Glazer, who is, you, you probably know, is yeah. a, a very funny and very interesting guy. So to meet, meet guys and characters and, and personalities like that, um, I think really gets you to the next level. Uh, it's an important development. Mm, yeah. And did you, is that you also, is that where you met people who you still play with nowadays? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's some people that way back there 20 years ago that I'm still playing with. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty special. Yeah. Um, not many people, moved to San Francisco mm-hmm. because it's not the first music city that people choose. You know, they go to New York or LA or Boston. When I then tour around or go around, then I, I, I connect with them. Um, there's, for example, a, a Russian guitar player who was a dear friend mm-hmm. and he lives in Boston. Just last month, I, I crashed at his house and we were jamming and he was helping out. And so that's, that's really cool. Um, there's my roommate from, from uh, living out in Newton outside of Boston and he lives in Berlin now. So he invited me to do a gig in Berlin here in the spring and we record an album together. He's a wonderful saxophone player. Maybe Uwe Steinmetz. So just meeting people um, from all over the world um, when I was at Berkeley really was a good jumping off spot for kind of launching a, a professional career, I would say. Yeah. So um, what, be interesting to know uh, your take on, um, on basically on making a violin swing, and how you <laughs> go about doing that, or how you went about doing that when you were first getting into it, or how you still think about it now. I guess, I, I guess it's, I'm, I guess I'm talking about the bow, but um, yeah, like what's your concept of that? Right. Do you have? Yeah, Matthew. Yeah, Matthew, you're. You're a, a violinist too, right? Yeah, yeah, and and play jazz. Um, I, I think 
it's very hard to quantify exactly what makes it work. And there's no technique, as we've seen with guys like Stuff Smith, there's no technique that really, because you look at him, try to imitate him, you may not be successful because it's so self-taught looking. Yeah. Um, you see Grappelli, he was also supposedly self-taught. Uh, yeah. Sven took some lessons. He, he made it swing. Yeah. Um, and then you see some people who took maybe a lot of lessons, a lot of classical, and it's not so happening. Um, so it's, you know, it's just listening to it and, and imitating that sound and finding out what it sounds like to swing mm -hmm. and then making that work. For me, technically, what I do a lot is I cross slur. So I use quite a bit of slurring as opposed to ind individual bowing strokes, yeah. um, which I find just because you think about what it means to swing and you hear saxophone players, they have a constant flow of air that goes through the horn. So that's what we're, we should try to do on our instruments. Mm. So if you make small breaks in between the, the bows, the bowing bowed notes, that's when the disconnect happens and it starts not swinging so much. Yeah. So it's extremely important to keep that flow and that legato feel. Why it's rhythmic, legato can be rhythmic and that's what it should be. Yeah. But keeping that going. That's I also when I listen to stuff, that's that's definitely what's going on when, when he's playing is there's a sense of of legato flow, constant um, air through the sound, if you will but just accenting certain notes that make the, the groove happen. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Do you, um, did you, was there, did you ever find it difficult to, to make that happen when you were first starting out? And was there anything that you did to, to sort of, to sort of force that into your playing that, that idea of swing or was it just something that came through listening? Um, I think that I, I definitely went through a progression when I listened back to the early uh, recordings I did or the early times when I was trying out playing. It didn't really swing very much. <clears throat> I, I didn't think I, I had really found the right formula mm -hmm. yet. And it takes several years to do that. Yeah. I was also in a group called Turtle Island Quartet. Yeah. And in that, um, we're not, we don't have a drummer. Mm -hmm. um, we really have to create the groove ourselves. And I think it's can be very helpful for violinists to be in that kind of situation mm -hmm. yeah. because we're, if you rely on, on the drummer and the bass player and this sort of setup that's very comforting, then you may not really get to swing as much as you could if, you're, if you try to really create this yourself. Yes. And realize, you know, I have to, I have to do this myself. I can't just lean up against somebody else um you you sort of have to be the drums you have to be mm -hmm. the the bass and the piano and all those things and you have to know what those roles uh, mean and i think it was healthy for me to be in, in in that kind of a group where you you basically have to do that yourself yeah it's interesting i think like uh listen to like bluegrass fiddlers a lot of the time there's like yeah there's like a difference between being able to groove on top of a groove or on top of something and then also and creating that groove. And I think like if you listen to bluegrass fiddlers, what I've noticed um, is that they 
can create that groove a lot more. And it's, I think violinists yeah. find it very difficult to be the groove creator, you know, to be able to like have a sense of rhythm without anything else behind them. I think it's quite a difficult exactly. thing for violinists, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah yeah it, it is and and um sometimes i'll play swing tunes just completely solo um without any accompaniment and uh yeah if you can make that work i think it's it's a big plus mm. um and not relying on you know you can also use double stops and and other things mm. the chop is something yeah it's very helpful while in bluegrass music yeah. a lot of these group techniques came from bluegrass like yeah. the chop and the shuffle bow mm-hmm. is another thing that um, it's a different way of grooving. It's it's less um, complex than jazz. It has less polyrhythms. Mm-hmm. And what makes jazz um, more complex is you have these, you have the da, 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 but you also have the um, polyrhythms that goes across that. Mm. Whereas in bluegrass, I don't think you have, um, you have some of that, that kind of thing. But maybe not as complex as different. Um, but certainly, learning a lot of the bluegrass stuff can be great help. It's it's all dance music at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah. So, how did you get involved with the Turtle Island String Quartet? Yeah, that was actually through uh, the guy I mentioned earlier, Matt Glaser, yes. who was the uh, chairman of the Berkeley String Department at the time. He's not anymore, but he's still at the at the school. Wonderful teacher and guy and and personality mm. and uh and he gave my name and uh a number to those guys at the time it was uh, still is david ball and mark summer mm-hmm. evan price i did um, a couple of addition concerts for them and uh at the uh, at the end of those they offered me the position basically playing viola mm. which i hadn't done before <laughs> um i mean i i had auditioned that but i hadn't I didn't have any experience prior to joining the group on viola, so which I didn't quite tell him. But yeah, <laughs> so it was best to keep it to yourself, eh? <laughs> yeah, it was best to, to just say, hey, you know, I got this, <laughs> and it's it sort of worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but do you, but you did play violin with them as well, right? Yeah. So the story there is, I was four years in viola and four years in violin. Ah. Okay. Yeah. So when we had a membership change, actually the uh, the Scottish fiddler jazz slash jazz player Jeremy Kittle he joined it and he was then playing viola and I switched to the violin at that point. Yeah. Okay. And what's it like playing in that? I mean, you did just speak a little bit about that, but what's it like playing in that sort of ensemble? Because it is it is quite unique, um, and certainly probably more unique back then. I'd mm-hmm. imagine there's perhaps more people doing it now, but like you guys, like that, that those guys, that band is probably the first, we the first, first of its kind to like, to, 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 to tour, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What was it like? Yeah, for string quartet. I mean, making a, making the string quartet play jazz in a, not just in a sort of a gimmicky, or not gimmicky, but just you know, yeah. One guy plays bass line, one comes, one guy plays shot, but really have arrangements that that went pretty far out. As far as there was nobody really that did that before Turtle Island came around, mm. and that's that's that was pretty special that that happened. And 
and now I think there are more groups for sure. And there's a lot of integration of fiddle music, which also Turtle Island was a big proponent of, was using American bluegrass, jazz, uh, Latin music, all these different um, styles of music, and really making them making them work mm-hmm. in, in that environment. And the, of course, the cello played a crucial role mm-hmm. because plays bass lines in that and when you had that you could add harmonies with two fiddles doing sort of interesting harmonies do mm. two full stops fiddles you know you can then you have four or five notes to go with yeah well you see so there's i think it's a it was a clever thing to do and it really took off and and i was in a, in a during a very good time in the group's time where we won a couple of grammys and did a lot of interesting projects, collaborations with guys like Paquito de Rivera, Kenny Barron. Mm-hmm. Um, we played with um, the Assad brothers, Leo Kotke. So um, it was it was a tremendous experience for a young guy, young guy like me to to be in the middle of that and see the business side of it and how a band kind of functions. I, I think it was it was good. Yeah, amazing. Did you did you do writing for that project or were you? just there as a player no i i certainly arranged and and wrote originals too mainly mm. arranged though arranged, um, yeah. yeah the group was was largely about playing arranged pieces like we would do a love supreme john coltrane yeah do coltrane we did hendrix um have you ever been to electric ladyland mm. that album and then also uh championing um david paul christen's writing Mm-hmm. who was one of the founders of the group and uh, always was big into writing for that. Mm. And I think that um, that worked and it still is sort of the um, the setup of the group to this day, although I'm not in it anymore. I think that's that's what's going on. Okay, yeah, cool. Um, so you do write music yourself though, right? You write original. Yeah, jazz. I write I write my own stuff for sure, yeah. Um, how long have you been doing that for? Oh boy, probably since I was, I was like 18 years old. Yeah. <laughs> since since I realized that the thing I explained where you realize you can get off the page and you can yeah. play your own improvise, that's when that connected. Um, yeah, and, and so I've written for small band and then the most, um, to me, interesting project I've done recently was writing for Full Symphony, mm. which I did for, um, for Oakland Symphony. Um, I wrote a violin concerto that I performed with them. And then I played that with other orchestras as well in Japan and and around the U.S. And then last year I wrote another piece for a smaller chamber orchestra that was the uh, same orchestration as uh, Copeland's Appalachian Spring, the original, Mm. adding me and percussion. So that was really, um, really cool. And and to be able to bring the kind of music that I love uh, like jazz and fiddle styles and and and, um, and bring those into the symphony and mm-hmm. integrating them um, in a way that I think for for the symphony players was fun to to yeah. uh, and for the audience was was thrilling um, yeah it was this has been really fun mm, yeah it is interesting that the uh, integration of like classical classical musicians with jazz material right yeah if you find a way to to do it um where you're basically 
I mean, what I did have was a drummer that had jazz sensibilities, so that's yeah. creating a lot of. Um, you can't really ex- you can't really expect classical players in, in a situation like that to to really supply like a, a kick-ass groove sure. because yeah. they don't have the background for that. So um, if you ins- just have a little bit of your own and and then have yeah. maybe a spare drummer or something like that to then you can then you can get that thing going and yeah. they and you know what happens when a groove is happening is people latch onto it and and it starts um it starts really working so i i think those projects were largely um about that about yeah. expanding what an orchestra can do um but more in a jazz context than, than in sort of a, a pops context yes yeah um so when did you when did you first when, when was your like first release of your own project like your first cd yeah so yeah so when i was in turtle island i, I in the <laughs> beginning i was just kind of in the group and i didn't do much else and then at one point i think it was david who came to me and said hey you should really do your own band and i was like yeah you're right and that was in 2007 mm-hmm. probably i've been in it for about four years and that point i started to do my own smaller groups mm-hmm. so i started with a trio violin bass guitar we released one album called speed of light and then after that i uh made it into a quartet and then i did sort of my first real album that was really cool because i had you know my own quartet and then i had some guest artists russell ferrante from the yellow jackets mm-hmm. stanley clark Oh, wow. Played on a couple of tracks, Stephon Harris on vibraphone. So that was a good one to yeah. do for me at that point, 2009, I think. Um, set me a little, little bit on the map. Yeah. And I, and after that, um, I've done uh, different prizes. Well, I did a, a album of Jean-Luc Ponty's music. And yeah. We did a live recording, which worked out really well. And then I did... Um, uh, recently, a band called Mads Tolling and the Madsmen, yeah. who were doing music from the '60s, you know, mm. playing words with the Mad Men yeah. uh, series. There, that was really big in the U.S. And so, um, that's a that's a fun project where everybody arranges songs from that. So we'll take you know, all along the Watchtower, speaking oh, cool. of, of Bob Dylan earlier, and do that in a Latin or a salsa version. Yeah. We'll take the good, the bad, and the ugly, and do that in a reggae version. And we'll take Meet the Flintstones and, and do sort of a, a rhythm change jazz thing on it. So that's been really fun, and also something that people can really hang on to. You know, in terms of stylistically, they they hear the connection between the old songs and what we're doing. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so be interesting to to just uh, briefly go back to like how you first started um uh finding your way through chord changes it's more of a typical Mm -hmm. question but you know what you what you did some of the things that you uh you did to because you said you had you know you you got to berkeley you you had a lot of theory and you had your jazz playing together but it'd be interesting to know how you um how you took that theory and put it into practice uh yeah. So you're asking how I I um I work with in terms of chord changes and yeah. how I how I was able to um improve on that and, yes. and work that into my playing. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think I learned about scales and, and things like that in school. And, and for me, it was a lot about, in the beginning, to play over one scale. Yeah. It's a lot easier than going from chord to chord. And I think most of my students that I see is they're having the hardest time playing from chord to chord and, and making that connection when the chords change fast and bebop. And that's really what's hard on a violin. That's why even, you know, Crepelli is mostly diatonic music. So it's sort of the easy way out to, to be able to play and improvise when you don't have to change as many chords. So what I did in the beginning was I did a lot of arpeggiation, playing from third to third and really find the thirds of each chord and knowing where the thirds are and knowing, you know, this is where I have to go on an F minor chord or this is where I have to go on a, a B flat seven chord and so forth. So um, that you're basically anticipating where the chords are going to go. Mm -hmm. um, it was just about having a really solid foundation and knowing exactly also, for example, I'll do comping. So I'll do third and seven, mm -hmm. you know, on the two low strings. Um, so you, so you really have a very fast and instant recognition of where the chord is on the instrument. Mm -hmm. I think what happens a lot of times is um, people are not really a, people are not fast enough in terms of knowing where those notes are on the instrument. Yeah. So they can't really they can't access them fast enough. Yeah. Uh, and then again, it's it's basically about using your ear. The rest takes care of that. So I also even did some transcriptions where I would sing along with the song not even play my instrument, but just ha have that. And the nice thing about a lot of standards is they're so repetitive. So once you have one standard and type of song down, yeah. you instantly have 10 others. So um, the, the task can seem daunting at first, but mm -hmm. the best, the best way is just to, is to keep drilling those thirds, keep mm -hmm. drilling those arpeggios. Yeah. Um, Obviously, knowing the blues scale in every key, knowing the pentatonic scales in every key, um, a lot of people want to know if there's a shortcut or just do this little wiggle, and and that's just not the way it works. You have to kind of know, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's a serious study, so you know if you want to do that, then it's I don't don't think jazz is the right thing for you. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I think the you know there's a lot of uh, um, especially with the internet being you know booming internet learning booming there's a lot of like uh stuff online that says you know you can you you're gonna get great at jazz in three hours or whatever and it just doesn't exist eh? that's that thing yeah that's that's rather silly to yeah. do that yeah there's such a deep study yeah. like it's deep as anything like classical or yeah. indian classical music yeah um so yeah and especially if you go to to the extreme degree like bebop giant steps and that kind of thing yeah really knowing uh, just in terms of from a playing over the changes kind yeah. of perspective. Yeah. yeah uh, sure. right. You just, you, you can't, you can't bullshit. You've no, got to really should. know. Certainly not. you got to know um, what's going on. Otherwise you'll, you'll get smoked. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's very true. Um, so be interesting. I, some of it comes up sort of regularly on this podcast, but um, everyone, everyone completely different is like, you know the idea of some key some key like some key centers being 
more difficult to facilitate mm-hmm. on the, on oh, the yeah. violin. I mean, I, I feel like that that is true in in general with the violin. But just wondering, as a, as a jazz player, if that's something that um, yeah, how you go about playing those more tricky uh, keys mm-hmm. that don't come up as often. And, you know, because right. for, for example, a guitarist, if they're not used to playing in F sharp, um, they're they're going to have some uh, like shapes that that will just instantly, even if they're not used to being there, that they can move up and from F or down from G or whatever, and it'll 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 happen for them. But what I find with the violin is is that for me. That's it's not so as simple as that. There's not as much, you know, shifting is is not the same for for a violin. I'm just wondering how if if that's something that you ever came up with when you were first getting into it, or if it's something that still comes up for you now. Yeah, I think uh, most people probably have a really hard time. At least I do playing in in F sharp major. Yeah. Or in B major, yes. you know, those are the two toughest ones. Yeah, I I don't have a hard time playing in flat keys no. because you kind of go in the half position, yeah, and everything lies pretty well there. And and yeah. there's a lot of jazz songs in in flat keys, so you get used to that. You get used to it, yeah. But I think those two, other two uh, keys that I mentioned are are tough for two reasons: is because you're sort of in no man's land in between sort of first and second position, and then there's not um, a lot of um, open um uh, strings that you can use yeah um so th- that's why those are tough and there's a whole um pedagogy with the uh school of um dj lockwood right yeah who has this thing about going up the neck and yeah. a lot of jazz violinists use that um that sort of shapes, strategy the shape thing quite similar to guitarists where they'll do the like right thing that's that's minor or whatever. yeah exactly yeah, yeah yeah i know what you mean yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the thing. That I think that's was his concept. And I passed away, unfortunately. Yeah, it's very sad. But um, I I don't really I don't really use that. No. Um, and um, I just I just didn't get into that strategy. Hmm. Um, I don't think it's. I think you find what works for you, and then you go with that. Um. I think. The danger of doing that sort of thing where you're going up the neck is that you, you know, you don't know where you are mm. sometimes with the notes or you, you know, it becomes sort of like guitar where I think a lot of guitar players, yeah, no offense, don't, sure. they, they don't really know what the chords are. They're just using these shapes. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I also go up the neck, you know, sometimes yeah. you, you do that sort of way you go up chromatically and that can mm. work pretty well in jazz. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I think everybody just finds finds their way and yeah, um, find find a way that 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 works for you. Yeah, um, it's funny. But, I, um, I mean, I found that I, I I'm I'm sort of with you pretty much 100 percent with that F sharp and B thing. Those being the <laughs> the most difficult ones. And I think I think part of me thinks it's like it might be to do with how how your brain works with alongside the the fingerboard and i think as soon as you start to um add like as soon as there's more of a chance of like a double sharp being involved or a double you know 
like a, yeah, those are just out of you can't compute those. That's that's sort of what it, yeah. That's that for me. I think that's why those keys are so difficult um, mm-hmm. because there's more of a chance of a of a double of a double sharp being existing where and yeah, I don't know. I've I but I've always found that, and I'm I'm still you know I'm still always working on it actually that um that that whole idea of half position that you were talking about is actually a one way to look at b or f sharp uh, mm-hmm. and actually to try and do them as not f sharp but g flat in my brain but then that's that's yeah. where that's where the um that's where the difficulty lies because you know if you're thinking in in if you're used to thinking in g flat and it, it, things are being spoken. well. Well, you basically, basically, if you if you're playing at a D, if if you're thinking that way, if you play a, a B major scale, then you're playing second finger from the G, right? Second, third, and then the, the fourth finger is kind of sharp there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're playing the first on the E on the D, so yeah. it gets a little bit, you get a little stretched out that way. But I think that's the right way to think about it. Is is don't keep the finger in this, keep the hand in the same, mm. same place yes. all over the fingerboard. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. No, actually, but the, the, I guess what I was saying is that sometimes I'll do B as I'll, I'll, I'll play B like it's C, C flat. That just, I'll finger it like it's like it's, you know, I'll finger it in half position basically. And that's, okay. that's, that's a way that I've, I've found. Oh, so you're gonna go down there? Okay, I yeah. see. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. yeah. That's that can also, yeah, it, yeah. That that also that's also valid for sure. Yeah, but I actually think that you know, saying that, I think that can be why, for me, it can be quite uh, confusing because then you're just like, oh, I got it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a funny thing, but I guess yeah, it, you could. Think about that. That's F sharp would be G flat, and then yeah. you're in half position. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. yeah. But um, I think that that's that's like uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I it's it's all it's all about I guess like trying to and I you know speak to some classical violinists. I was I was hanging out with loads of classical violinists this week actually, and you know they're saying you know just always try and be in first position if you can. You know try not to go to second or whatever. And I think that like I think I do that. But I you know I think oh wow, you know. Like it. that's interesting they say that because I, I feel like a lot in a lot of classical music they have these shifts that are very much based around being on the same string yeah no i, I agree like yeah solo soloist material for sure soloist I, material i guess i was i was talking i was in i was with a bunch of guys at the bbc concert orchestra and they were all yeah i mean to be honest they said the the lady I was sitting next to said that, but she was all over it. She was right at the top anytime, you know. I don't know. Yeah, but, um, yeah I don't know. I think That's interesting. I find first position is a... I find, I, you know, for jazz, you just end up... I end up thinking in first position. That's where I am most natural. That's where I'm going to be improvising and getting out of that can be quite difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, is that something that you've, you've, you've found difficult? Yeah, now I I think first and third position are are your safe zone, and second, yeah. uh, kind of, yeah. and anything on top of that, sure is all 
also a little bit risky. Yeah, I mean, it's not um, not impossible, obviously. But, yeah. If, um, but yeah, sorry, carry on. And then, and that's you know that works out pretty well because the violin is a pretty high sounding instrument when you go over that B mm. yeah. right on on the E string. So yeah. you start being in a tonally in a place where not a lot of people are going to be too excited about hearing the violin. Yeah. So it yeah. sort of worked out. It yeah. reads a lot in the, in the first. Yeah. 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 I guess it, it makes it easier to sort of feel like the violin is, is like some, it's like a piano rather than, like you said, this whole, the whole idea of like, um, the moment you start shifting position regularly, it's very difficult to, as you said, to know exactly what note you're playing at any one time. And for me, when you, you know, when you're, when you're improvising, you want to just be like open and just let it, you know, let your, you know, making these decisions without thinking about it, what notes, what notes next, etc. And it, and it feels like yeah. the best way. You don't want to be thinking. You don't want to be thinking yeah. too much when you're yeah. playing, when you're improvising. That's the thing. Yeah. So I guess first, yeah, I guess first position, you know, it, it always feels like that's the, the, the closest place for me to think of the violin, like a piano, you know, like a piano, you know, every time a chord appears, you want, all those keys on the piano to sort of light up or the keys on the, or the, the, the places on the, on the neck to sort of light up in your head somewhere. So, you know, that's where I am. That's what, that's what I can play, you know? Right. Exactly. Uh, to some degree. I mean, it sounds yeah. like that, that sounds, sounds like when I'm playing, I'm just thinking of loads of lights, but it's not true, you know? Um, yeah. so yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's just interesting hearing your perspective on that. And you know what? I actually don't ask these questions these more technical jazz violin questions enough on here actually I, a lot of the time yeah. I, uh, it, I think it is really interesting to hear uh someone like yourself's perspective on stuff like that because yeah i guess also something like if you you know anchor the first finger on a note like on the a string if yeah. you're on a d or the a's or e or the yeah. you know that way you're anchoring yeah. on certain fingers also <laughs> is a different way instead of thinking about third and fourth and fifth and position but just you yes. know knowing yeah the a string note that's another way to yeah to feel a sense of security mm. yeah i know yeah okay i know what you mean which is sort of what you do when you're practicing shifting right you you know if you're if you're wanting yeah. to do a shift that's that's one of the techniques of of shifting just to, in a technical sense if you're pl- trying to learn you know classical music you you would be yeah. taught to to make sure that your first, you know, even if you're shifting up to your second, something really high up with your second finger, you want to make sure that you know where your first finger should be. Right. So, so yeah, I guess that's... I think you're right. Um, okay, so it would be interesting to know what your current project is, um, what, you're, what you're working on at the moment, and um, yeah. What, yeah. Um, well, for right now, uh, I'm finishing up a tour in uh, Denmark. We have another four uh, gigs lined up here. Yeah. Um, with actually playing, partly what that's been has been, been playing the music of Sven Asmussen. You know, he passed away. Yeah. Uh, three years ago, almost now, and we've been playing with Jacob, who was in his band for for the last twenty years of, of Sven's life, mm. and then with a quartet. So that's been really cool to to take the music around Scandinavia and tour also where I'm from, you know, born yeah. and raised, you know, seeing my, my, my folks and my, my family over here quite a bit. 
Um, so, so I'm just finishing that tour. And then when I get back to San Francisco where I live or Berkeley, uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to be, uh, back over there and, and playing a bunch, um, in terms of, of projects coming up next year, I'm going to be writing a piece for my band, my quartet, and then involving a bit of philosophy in this one because oh, I'm wow. going to write um, a piece that's based on the book by Søren Kierkegaard, who's a great Danish philosopher okay. who um, actually wrote a book about the aesthetic way of living your life and the and sort of the, versus the ethical way. It's called either or. And I'm going to have some some rappers and some oh, spoken wow. words and some vocals as part of that. So that's going to be um, a project I'm going to be writing for. I actually got a commission to to uh, to make that possible. That's that's really cool. Is that something that... So that's happening in the fall. Is, that, is philosophy something that you're interested in? I think as, you know life philosophy like most people but i'm not a particular okay. uh buff uh, philosophy buff but i as a musician and and sort of a creative being i think it's it's, it's kind of spoke to me to make that something like that happen mm. and i also think that uh historical um things like historical stories history is something that really interests me so looking back 200 years yeah. That was some somebody wrote about and thought about back then or 150 years and seeing how that's relevant today is, is kind of kind of cool. I also think that um, in Europe this is not as well known, but in London I think they're playing it now. Um, the musical Hamilton. Okay. Um, is really is huge in America about right. you know one of the, the founding fathers who wrote the um, the Constitution ah. and stuff like that is I, I think is quite fascinating if you can take historical stories like that and, and bring them into the 21st century mm. um so so that's that's basically what i'm going to be doing on this one oh, that's cool so that's is it so have you uh has, has this project uh meant that you've ended up like reading more into the, the uh, this philosopher or you know reading it will be uh, so far i haven't really gotten very far with it don't worry, but, i'm not gonna uh, test you because I, I don't know anything yeah, about yeah it don't test me but <laughs> I'm, i still i still have a year left for yes. for for basically making it happen but uh yeah you got to think a little bit ahead i'm also going to be writing another symphonic piece um violin concerto for a chamber orchestra san francisco yeah and um and and my smaller groups are going to keep you know doing our thing and yeah. and i think a big thing for me is also just getting my name out and outside of of the places i traditionally go to so the more i can tour around the u.s mm. obviously i've done a lot with turtle island yeah um so being sort of part of that group i've done a lot but i yeah. want to do it my own groups and also going to different countries and different regions that i haven't yeah spent so much time in you've been to the uk pro- before yeah i was just going to say I, I have played at uh, ronnie scott's oh yeah with Stanley Clark and also the Jazz Cafe. Yeah. Um, that was that was fantastic. So hopefully the UK will be in the cards yeah. uh, once it stays when the time is right. Yeah, that'd be cool. I wonder if you could get involved with uh, just with that. Uh, there's, there's, there's a couple of really interesting projects happening in, in the UK at the moment. I don't know if you know much about Tomorrow's Warriors. 
Oh, I don't know that one. No. They're a thing run by Gary Crosby, but they have the like a. There's they've been putting on lots of workshops and concerts involving uh, jazz strings and <laughs> getting yeah, sort of trying to get more jazz string players. It seems there's a really good couple of groups that are coming out of it and uh they get a lot of quite interesting commissions and big things so i don't know they're the that sounds like a cool project yeah, yeah. look into that yeah um what was i gonna say well i think actually you know what we might have we might have covered everything you know and that, that was really <laughs> interesting i mean probably not there's probably loads more no it's good no it's good it's, it seems like a good time to yeah to end it probably yeah, yeah we <laughs> talked a lot of a lot of good stuff. All right, man. Thanks so much for, for chatting to me. Absolutely, Matt. Have a good uh, rest of the day. Still yeah, you early too. out there. <laughs> yeah. Stay warm, man. Will do. You too. <laughs> All right. Bye. Thanks very much for listening to the Jazz Violin Podcast. You've been listening to Mad Tolling and myself, Matt Holborn. Um... That was a really interesting chat. Um, I hope you guys got as much out of it as I did, actually. Uh, Any news? One thing is, sorry if you are one of my patrons and you haven't yet received your stickers. I it's basically it's just it's my fault. I haven't done it. I've been had a really crazy uh, couple of months and haven't sent them out. But they are in their envelopes ready to take to the post office so they'll be out to you this week hopefully in the next couple of weeks you'll get them depending on where you are and some of you guys are really far away oh yeah also if you want to check out what i'm doing at the moment head to the london django collective on instagram or youtube or spotify um we're everywhere on the internet and i will be playing a track that's just come out from us by robin katz um, this he Robin is a guitarist and he plays with us in the London Django Collective. He composed two tunes and the, yeah, they're out now. Spotify, blah blah blah. This is one of them and it's called Cats Out the Bag. Hope you enjoy. Thank you.
Thank you. 